0: If you have your Bibles there with you at home, if you would turn to John 9, we will take the next step as we started last week and looking at this encounter of Christ with the blind man. To put everything in context, go up, if you would, to the top part of John chapter 8, and we'll look at verse 57, and then we're going to read through John 9 down through verse 12. Actually, let's look at 56. So your father Abraham, Jesus said in John eight fifty-six, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, and he hid himself and went out of the temple. And going out from that place, as he passed by, John 9, 1 says, He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, But that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash In the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he is like him. And he kept telling them, though, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. So we're going to continue this and we began last week and I want to do a bit of review for us this morning in regard to where we were last week. We looked at three primary points last week. The first one was we looked at the sovereign grace that comes from God, the sovereign grace that comes from Christ. God is ever at work in our lives. He is ever at work in the world and amongst humanity. He is working in the midst of the brokenness of the world, giving all of those who live in darkness an opportunity to come to sight. And God sovereignly working and uses us at times in the, in the lives of other people so that they will hear the message of Christ to come to a place of eternal life. This man is not looking for Jesus on this day. He doesn't know that Jesus is passing by. He doesn't know that they are wanting to stone him. He's just doing what he did every single day, begging in the temple. And Jesus sees him there. The disciples ask a question. And yet Jesus takes the initiative with the man to stop and to step into the man's life and to give the man exactly what the man needed and was not expecting on that day. And it is the surprise of grace, it is the beauty of God's grace that awakens life in the lost to see that God can do something, He can bring redemption, He can do something powerful. So we looked at the sovereign grace of Christ entering people's lives who are not even looking for it as this man was. The second thing we looked at last week is this man becomes representative. Of everybody who is born in this world. Everybody is born in sin. Everybody is born separated from the Lord. And so therefore the whole world is born in blindness from birth. Spiritually separated from the Lord. And this spiritual blindness and brokenness. They are rampant. They are constant in the world that is made up. In the world that is full of sin. And we probably all have discover this in our own lives as well, is that sin and the blindness that comes from sin doesn't get better on its own. We don't just leave it alone and it's just going to miraculously heal itself. For it is only when Christ intervenes in our lives and touches our lives that there is spiritual sight that is given so that we will come to a place of understanding. And this man, because of the prevalent thinking and teaching during the day um, in which he was living would have viewed himself in a very flawed way. He would have looked at God in a very flawed way as well. He would have thought something I did because it was taught is that either this man sinned in the womb and that caused his blindness or there was some kind of grievous thing that his parents had done that had resulted in this in his life. And his whole life from birth was one of darkness. He had never seen anything. And by the world standards, he would have been labeled damaged goods. There's no hope for this guy. He's going to continue to remain in the place that he is. But the incredible blessing of life is this, is that Jesus sees us. He knows our condition. He knows where we are. He knows how long it's been. He knows exactly what we need. And we don't know the age of this man at this point. We know later his parents will say he is of age. So he may be late teens, 20s, whatever the case may be. He's at an age where he could speak for himself. And that his whole life has been blindness, darkness. But everything is about to change for him. All of the years of darkness, all of the years of loneliness and confusion and false guilt. Am I to blame? Am my parents to blame? All of that was about to be over for him because of the touch and the initiation of Christ. The third thing we looked at last week, which sets the stage for what we're going to see in the first point this morning is this, is we must have a correct theology of suffering. So we talked about several things last week, but I just want to touch on the very last one. Is suffering... In verse 2, it says this, The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was it this man's parents that he was born blind? And so Jesus saw the man. He saw his condition. The disciples just wanted to ask a question and a theology question at this point. And the teaching of the age was false at this time. And nobody can correct false teaching better than Jesus. And so he addresses it. And we'll talk about more of that in the the next point here. But for this moment, Jesus is going to correct their error with truth. And he's going to remind them that no, it's not what this man did. It's not what his parents did. But in a world that's full of sin, and where everybody is born fallen, these things naturally come to be. That there is blindness, there is brokenness, there is heartache. But Jesus has the power. To step in and to do the miraculous. And so suffering is to be seen as a preparation, a pathway in a sense, in which God can do something now in this lifetime. But ultimately suffering now is to prepare us for what He is going to do in glory. And so I read this verse last week in Second Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul writes these words, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, our spirit, our life that has been awakened by Christ is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that we see, but to the eternal things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they are passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And the disciples do not know it yet, but this suffering of this man and what he has known for his whole life is going to become a pathway for them to see and trust Christ more, but to see the incredible glory and power and deepen their discipleship. And that is my prayer today, is that this story will deepen our discipleship. It will deepen our passion for Christ, our desire to see His work in us and in our world in a much greater way. So how does Jesus answer the question? The disciples are like, okay, is it this this man's problem? Did he do something, or did his parents do something? And that brings us to point four. The gospel's work is to ultimately display the glory of God. That is the great aim of the gospel, to to give glory to our God. And so here's how Jesus responded. Look at verse 3. So Jesus answered, no, it's not that this man did something. It's not some direct correlation, he sinned, this came. So it's not that, and it's also not because of what his parents did. Here's the reason this man is this way, is that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, all around us is a world that is broken. People born with things, things have come upon people's lives. Disease, whatever the case may be, autoimmune things, heart conditions. There are things that are a part of our lives that... In, in many ways, they remain. They are just a part of our lives. And Jesus gives us an interesting perspective here. And The perspective is this. is not, yes, everything comes from the fallen nature. All brokenness comes from that. But not all brokenness is a direct correlation of some decision that has been made. And that was, the again, the prevalent thought of the day. And so Jesus is saying, no, this man's blindness has nothing to do with whether he sinned or whether his parents sinned. But his blindness is going to be a pathway. It's going to be an opportunity that in this man's life, a work can be done so that the glory of God will be exalted, will be praised in regard to who he is. So Jesus moves the answer to their question of who sinned, this man or his parents. In other words, from the why question, why is this man in this condition, to move it to this. No, I want to show you what God can do in a situation like this. I want to show you what He can do. So, when Jesus arrived on the scene during His day, in that time, in His ministry, everywhere He went, His authority was displayed in what He taught. People marveled at what He said, and His authority and power were displayed in what He did in the lives of other people. We know many of the stories. As a matter of fact, Jesus' power is so great that He cast out demons. One day He's walking through a place, and a woman has great faith and reaches out and touches the hem of its garment. She has a bleeding condition. She is immediately healed. Everywhere He went, His power and authority were everywhere. And the fact that people saw these miracles and saw this gave indication as to who he is. And so not only did the individual people receive the benefit of the healing, but every time he did the healing, it pointed to the glory of who he is. It pointed to the glory of his father who had sent him to do this great work. Now, I'm going to ask you, get your bible ready. We're going to look at several places in Isaiah because I think this is really important to see. So Jesus answers their question. To say, no, the gospel's work, I have come to display the works of God, of my Father, in the world. Now the leaders, the religious leaders, and the people who had been taught the Scripture their whole lives, they had heard the stories, they had read the things, they should have noticed and clearly recognized from the teaching of Scripture that who was in their midst was a fulfillment of the Scriptures. So I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 29. And go to verse 18. And then we'll come back to John 9 in a moment. But I want to show you that scripturally they should have understood what was happening in their midst. For Isaiah spoke of this in several places. Isaiah 29 verse 18. In that day, these are all messianic texts about who the Messiah would be. In that day, the death shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see go to isaiah 35 5 here's another text that isaiah writes about isaiah 35 actually verse 1 we're going to read through verse 5 isaiah 35 verse 1 isaiah writes the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad And the desert shall rejoice, and the blossom like the crocus. And it shall blossom abundantly, and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see, listen to this, the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. In what way? Look at three. Strengthen the weak hands, and make The feeble, make firm the feeble knees. And say to those who have an anxious heart Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For f- water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Go to Isaiah chapter 42 now. Verse 7. Let's, see, let's put 6 with it. I am the Lord... I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. And I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. Now go to Isaiah chapter 61. Verses 1 and 2. Jesus quotes this later in Nazareth. Opens up the scroll. He's asked to read that day. And he reads from this. And this is where he says, Today this has been fulfilled in your presence. But Isaiah wrote of this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim... Liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And to comfort all who mourn. Everywhere Jesus went in His day, these things were being fulfilled. The Jews knew this. The religious leaders taught these passages from Isaiah. This is what the Messiah is going to be like. He is going to come. The deaf will hear. The, the lame will leap for joy. Those who are captive and broken hearted. They will find healing in the Messiah. And in Mark chapter 1. I'm gonna, I'll just read this briefly. In Mark chapter 1. There's this beautiful text that was happening. This fulfillment of all these things in Isaiah. At the end of Mark 1. In verse 32 through 34, this is what it says. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick. Notice the word, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. Now watch this. Don't miss this reality. Isaiah said, this is what the Messiah is going to be like. He is going to come into your midst. He is going to do these powerful things. Now Jesus is doing these powerful things. He has been healing. He has been casting out demons where a whole city gathers at the door to watch the power of Christ at work. And yet, they seem to have missed it. They seem to have missed the reality of what was happening. Can you imagine? I can't fathom what it must have been like to be the Twelve. To daily, consistently, over a three-year period, to consistently see the reality of what Christ was doing. In people's lives. Touching bodies, touching eyes, opening ears. People who could not walk are walking. Christ was moving. The fulfillment of Isaiah's writings. The religious leaders and the people should have recognized what was happening. The glory of God had come. He was in the midst of the people. He was at work. And so Jesus says, listen, this man's condition is the way that it is. Because I have come to display the work of God and the glory of my Father. And that is the work of the gospel. To do this. This is not, I've been at places where there's an illusionist. And they do these tricks and you just go wow and you turn to the person next to you and you're like okay how did they do that how did they do that Jesus is not performing tricks he didn't have a stage show with lights he is literally casting out demons he is literally forming new retinas he is adding bones to legs he is straightening out hands that cannot be straightened This is unbelievably significant. Here are the twelve watching and witnessing this over and over again. And so, because of this man's condition, Jesus answers the question, this man is going to become one in which you're going to see, as you have seen many times, the glory of God at work. And so Jesus says, this is not an issue of whether or not this man sinned or his parents sinned. But this is going to be a thing. This is a doorway in which I am going to do something to glorify the Father. Let me remind us that man's sin does not win over God's salvation. Nothing stops God. And human causes are not always reasons for us to point to certain things for the explanation of the things that are here. For if we do, it removes the mystery and the glory of what Christ can do in a life. You know, we as mankind and humanity, we are simply a responder to the conditions that arise in our life. But that is not the case with God. He's not a responder to things as if as if he was surprised by something. He doesn't spend his days contradicting or counteracting things that governments and other people do in the world as if he were not somehow in control of things this man was born blind and his his life would become a pathway for the glory of Christ to be displayed and i tell you god's purposes are at work in every matter of our life every situation of our life and in that that's where we find the explanation and the understandings of things to come to know him To come to know who he is and what he is up to. He is the great explainer of life. So they have a confusion about a man who's blind and he's begging. They ask a question. Jesus is like, it has nothing to do with what you have been taught. But this man is going to become one in which the glory of God is going to happen. And so you and I in our lifetime, we're not going to know the details of every single thing that comes. We're not going to know all of the answers of everything that happens in our lives. But He does. He knows what He's up to. And He knows what He's doing to bring about in us the shaping of our lives to become more like His Son. And we are to see that He is ever at work. And we are to see that every kind of situation becomes an opportunity for God to do something. And how He may work. And ultimately God is... is in control and He is the great purpose of all things. He is not responding again to man's actions and choices as if this is some kind of chess game. We make a move, He makes a move. This, this group makes a move, He makes a move. No, He is sovereignly moving things to His ultimate purpose. Fully in control of everything. Yeah, but what about this situation of this man being stuck in blindness? Well, we read it. He's not going to be stuck in blindness. And everyone who has come to know Christ, who is listening and watching this today, you are no longer stuck if you know Him. Stuck in your past condition. There's a freedom that is offered by the touch and the power of Jesus. And so this blind man becomes a living example to make much of God's glory and renown. These are reminders, in a sense, of the ultimate healing that is going to come in our lives. In the Old Testament, I touched on this a little bit last week, there were three healings in the Old Testament. Naaman was healed of his leprosy, Hezekiah was healed, and then those who had rebelled in the desert, um, the fiery serpents came and bit them, they looked up at the serpent on the pole that Moses had, had put together, and they were healed of their snake bites. In the Old Testament, there were three resurrections. So a total of six miracles until Jesus. Isaiah 42 and many of the passages that we read a while ago in Isaiah said that this is what was going to come when the Messiah came. And everywhere Jesus went, He was casting out demons. He was healing. He was bringing wholeness to people's lives. Not just physically, but He was doing so Spiritually let me remind us of what John began this gospel with John 1 3 all things all things were made through him that's not just the moon and the stars and the snow that has fallen today all things were made by or through him and without him listen to this and without him was not anything made that was made. So when you think of John 1 3, and you think of the miracles that Jesus did, He is continuing to create. So let me just bring to remembrance what is happening. Every time He did a healing, He created something new new eardrums, new organs. That needed to be healed. New retinas and eyes. New skin. With a leper. New vertebrae that needed to be fused. New bones. Everything that he was doing in these miracles. He was creating new and making things whole. And establishing things. And this is the case. For the few of us that are in the room this morning, and this is the case to everybody who is watching today. There is not a one of us that has not been touched by the ravages of sin, regardless of how it has come into our lives. From bad choices that we have made, from the sin of others that have been thrust upon us because of what they have done. Some of us have been born with issues from the fall that we were born with. They are still here or they have gotten worse over time or some things are just a part of our life because the world is broken and everybody here today and everybody listening we are all flawed in some way and it's flaws in a way where we would say i was born with this or i have this It is a part of my life, and it is remaining. And if we'll have his perspective, this is what we can say now. I have this, I was born with this, so that the power of God would be displayed in my life. Pointing to him that I'm not great, but he is great, and look what he can do in somebody like me. And whenever we are weak, it is a moment where he will show himself strong. And where we sense we can't be used because of something in our lives or some kind of weakness, it can reveal that his power can move in our lives. Paul got to the place in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 where he said, "I am content with weaknesses so that the glory of God may shine through." Job 1:22. All the things that happened with Job. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with something wrong. Job 2.10, speaking to his wife. Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive only good from God? And shall not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with His lips. There are things a part of our lives that seem to be permanent. And not everything's going to be ultimately finally healed here. We know ultimately it will be completely healed in the next life. But there are times in this life where God moves and God touches. And He does something amazing. I've been greatly impacted in my lifetime through reading and through watching Johnny Erickson Tata teach, who broke her neck as a teenager or a, a young 20 something and has trusted in God as a paraplegic for all of her life. Spurgeon, deeply impacted by Spurgeon. loved his writings, love the things of it. Spurgeon battled with the darkness of depression, he battled with it. There's a guy that you may have seen. Um, Life without limbs. His name is Nick Vucic. And he trusts in God. Born with no arms, no legs, and deeply loves God. And I think this text teaches us that there are things a part of our lives that are going to remain, or God may bring healing, but they become pathways. They become doors for the power of God to be displayed in our lives so that He gets this great glory. And I believe that every time somebody comes to faith in salvation, that is a miracle work. Because somebody dead on the inside has been awakened to life. And at times, sometimes this glory of God is seen in the brokenness of this world, and the condition of the world, and how we care for those who have these deep afflictions, and how we love them and minister to them, and God gets the glory, and how we pour our life out into the sick. Now, I want to look at one other passage before we move on, and things will speed up a little bit here, but I want you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4 for a moment. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Because what Paul writes here is so important for us to see. So here's this man. He's been born blind. And everybody looks at him. Something's wrong with him. He's sinned. His parents have sinned. He's just a beggar. He has no value. People ask theological questions about him. Jesus sees him. Steps into his life. And he's going to do something. And with every one of us, If we know Christ, He has stepped into our life. He has opened up our eyes. And that this this work of His is to be for His glory. This is one of my favorite texts that Paul wrote. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 7 through 11. But we, believers, have this treasure... Heavenly treasure, power of God, presence of God. Where does it reside? It resides in jars of clay. People, humanity, in my life. What's my life like? Well, I'm a jar of clay that has cracks in it. It's not powerful. I can sometimes break so again, let's come back to Second Corinthians 4 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that is in our lives belongs to God and not to us. Now listen to what Paul writes here. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Listen, church. What Paul writes here is profoundly significant in regard to looking at this man in John chapter 9 and looking at our own lives. Our lives, imperfect and flawed as they can be, become these vessels that reveal God's greater glory. I'm amazed that I have this calling upon my life to communicate. As a kid, I never would have thought I would be doing something like this. And so He uses a broken vessel like me to shine His glory. He uses your life, where you work, where you are, in your family, what you do, to reveal that Broken, flawed people who have the treasure of heaven in their life through the work of Christ in salvation. And it reveals his power enables us to be who we are, to say no to temptation, to walk in obedience and holiness and righteousness with him. So God puts this, listen to this plan. God puts the treasure of heaven, himself, his presence in our lives, the Holy Spirit in jars of clay. And notice what he says here. We have this. It's ours. It is in our lives. And it is done to show that he is powerful, not that we are powerful. This blind man has no power to have healing. But Jesus has the power to do so. And we must remember that He is strong and we are not. So we have this treasure, Paul says, of heaven and is put in jars of clay in this life. And it's done to show that He has the power. He is to get the glory. He is powerful, not we. And yet in this life we experience, here it is again, constantly through the Bible. Don't miss it. Don't ignore It, it is a clear teaching in the Scripture. We experience suffering but never full defeat. So Paul gives four examples there. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Every way. Listen to that. We wrestle with sin. We are afflicted with that. We wrestle sometimes with our personality and how it is displayed upon others. We wrestle emotionally, afflicted with things. Some of us have sickness that is a part of our life. We are afflicted. Some of us are afflicted in our mind, wrestling with the freedom and longing for the freedom. Some of us are afflicted with body frailties. Some of us are afflicted in every way of our past and our failures. But I want you to notice what the power of God does in the jars of clay. We are afflicted, but we are not crushed. Not crushed. We are perplexed, Paul says, but we're not driven to despair. Sometimes we're confused over temptation. We're confused over an unrighteous world, seem to be getting the better standing in the right places and more powerful, and they have more influence. Sometimes we are perplexed by God's patience with the rulers of the world. We are perplexed by sickness. We are sometimes perplexed by death. So sometimes we are perplexed, Paul says. But we're not driven to despair. Because we know that this life is not it. We are headed somewhere else. So Yes, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to a place of despair, saying that there's no hope. Then he says, listen, and sometimes his people are persecuted, and when they are persecuted, they are never forsaken. So when Paul loses his life, when Peter loses his life, When the saints of God lose their lives, when they are put in prison, Paul says, we are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. This is a matter of perspective. And again, in the context, he puts his power, his glory at work inside jars of clay. So we are at times persecuted, but we are never forsaken. We are never alone. We are never alone. Never alone. Why are we never alone? Well, uniquely, Jesus speaks about that. Let me tell you why we're not alone and why there's a security into our lives that lasts beyond our circumstances. This is, these are Jesus' words in John 10, 28 and 29. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then Jesus says, And my Father, who has given them to me, those in my hand, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one so we are persecuted and if this increases in our country and we suffer four things if we are persecuted we are never forsaken and then Paul says and then sometimes this treasure in jars of clay that shows that he is powerful and we are not and we are afflicted in every way we are perplexed about life we are persecuted And then sometimes we are struck down, but God's people are not destroyed. Choir believers not struck down, and I just read it to you. We are in the hand of Jesus, and we are in the hand of the Father. And then look what he says there in 10 and 11. We are always in our bodies, in this jar of clay, Carrying in our body the death of Christ. So the death of Christ at work in our lives. Continuing to crucify our self. And our pride and our way and our will. Carrying about in our bodies the death of Christ. So that the life of Christ would be manifested in our life. So that we would live His life. And this is a great glory in our lives. Just think of this carrying in our bodies the powerful work of His death. In that His life, His life, would be manifest in our life. And that is amazing today. Absolutely amazing. You see, the work of God does a change of transformation. I read a story about some Wycliffe Bible translators by the name of Bob and Jan. They were assigned to the Makuna people in southeast Columbia, South America. The progress was going really well in putting the Bible into the Makuna language. And the chief's son was intimately engaged in uh, helping them as a language helper. Each portion of the scripture had to be checked and double-checked for meaning and clarity and after five years of labor the gospel of john was finalized for publication and the people gathered together that had become believers to hear the word of god and the tribe sat patiently and beginning at john 9 1 when they got there the chief son was reading and he read about jesus's encounter with the man born blind And when he got to the verse where Jesus says that this man was born blind in order that the works of God might be put on display, the old chief just stood up right where he was and stopped the reading. And he required silence by his uplifted right hand, and he said, we must stop killing our babies. This was a people steeped in animism. And the normal process is that when a child was born, that had any kind of deformity or defect, they would take the child to a desolate place and they would leave it there and let it die. The implications of the gospel, as the chief heard the word of God, was that these children had value and would be ones who would display the work of God in their lives. In church, I cannot emphasize this enough this morning. That the glory of God works in brokenness and works in flawed people, even with deformities, to where He gets the glory in the great work that He does. And so they, Jesus answers the question to say, no, it's not about what this man did. It's not about what his parents did. This is here so that in the work of this man, I'm going to do something to the greatness and the glory of God. And so Jesus now takes us to the fifth point here. And so in verse 4, He says this, Listen, we've got to be busy men saying this to the disciples who had asked the question, There's an urgency of the hour with the gospel. We must work, verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me, While it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. And here's what Jesus is saying. Look, I'm the light of the world. The daytime is here. And while it's daytime, before my death and the night comes, we've got to be about what the Father's about. And on this day, the Father was going to be about the healing of this blind man. And so Jesus says, listen... There's an urgency of the hour with the gospel. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day, while we have a chance, while there's opportunity, communicate the hope of the gospel to people's lives. And so Jesus gives great insight here. God is ever at work. Back in John chapter 5, they were upset with Him because He said, My Father is working, and I am working. And as He said this, he's he was equating himself of being one with the father and equal to the father and they wanted that's where the wanting to kill him started back in John chapter 5 and so here he again he says this we who's this we we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day this we we know back in John chapter 5 The we that Jesus was talking about was he and his father. Father was at work, Jesus was at work. It's a different context here. He says to the 12, he says, men, we, we've got to be about what my father wants, who sent me. So we join Jesus in the work of the gospel, in the urgency of the hour, to bring hope and healing to the broken and the spiritually blind and those separated from God. And it doesn't matter how perceived good or bad someone is, everybody needs salvation in Christ. And so he's telling them, men, we must have a harvest mindset. Not the first time he's communicated that. John chapter 4, after the Samaritan woman, he communicates that. So He and the Father are working, and there's a necessity of a harvest mindset. This, this, this word here, night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is talking about His death. He is months away from the cross. There's an urgency of the hour to work. Telling the twelve, we must be about what the Father wants me to do. We must join in this work. Not to have all these discussions. Let's get busy doing the work. And he's pointing to the reality of his coming death here. And for the nation of Israel, as Jesus speaks these words here, the days of having the light in their midst were coming to a close. The daylight was soon to be gone. John the Baptist had announced the coming of the King and His kingdom. And then Jesus arrived and brought in a more greater revelation of this kingdom. In a few months from now, as Jesus speaks this in John 9, they will reject Him, and He will be hanging from a cross. And the door of opportunity for the Jews and for that generation of Israel to repent was closing. The temple would be destroyed in 70 A.D., and that nation would be judged for its sin of rejecting Jesus, their Messiah, And Romans speaks about this that there would be a time of salvation to come for the Gentiles, and there would be a veil that would cover the eyes of many of the Jews. And so Jesus tells the 12 here there's a sense of urgency that is to grip our heart. It is to grip our heart. We are not to be idle. We are to be at the work of the Lord's purposes. Do we sense this urgency to get the gospel to places it has not gone? And what are we doing with the time that we have been given? Jesus says, listen, there are people like this man all over and we must work the works of Him who sent me. While it is day, while we have opportunity, Because the night is coming when no one could work. And then Jesus goes back to something that He has said. And He will say again later. As long as I am in the world. Here's the next point. That He is the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, Jesus says. I am the light of the world. Now He would die. He would be buried. He would ascend and He would send the Spirit. And we, will, we are those now who take the light to the world. We are living lights, living examples of who He is. And He has put this treasure in jars of clay. And if we were to turn out the lights and have a jar and put a light in there, the cracks of that jar would, would light out and show what is inside there. That though there is a weakness, there is a power inside of that weakness of our lives. It reveals who He is. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world in verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He had a mission, and His mission was He was going to passionately fulfill to be the light of the world wherever He went, to display the glory of the Father wherever He went. And, our, and the Lord's response here, communicating that He must please His Father by doing the work of the Father. And we must join Him in that work to reach out to the broken to reach out, reach out to those who are spiritually blind and minister to their needs by shining the light of Christ, who has redeemed us and this treasure that has been placed in our lives. I've been on tours before, in caves, and you get deep down in there, and they turn off the lights, and you can't see anything. There is no seeing of anything unless there is light. Why is the world dark? Why is Jesus saying here, while it is day? While we have opportunity, let's be about what He wants us to be about. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. And the reason is, there is no sight if there is no light. In a world that is lost, in a world that has fallen, there is no sight. Unless there is light. And so we must have the same mindset as Christ. As long as I am here. As long as I am breathing. I am to live in light of the treasure. That has been placed inside of me. And to make the light of the world known. To a world. And so as long as we are here. We aim to make sure the light is known. And then Jesus is done talking. And he spits on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva. And I don't know if this is a biblical principle that says that we can spit, but Jesus did it. And he spits, and he makes mud. And he takes the mud, and he just rubs it on the man's eyes. And then he tells the man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent, and it's, a, it's such an understatement. So he went, and he washed, and he came back to see. That is powerful when you think about that. It's just such an understatement. But I want you to notice the grace of Jesus. This man, again, was not looking for Jesus. He was not crying out for attention. He was not crying out for healing. He was just doing what he had come accustomed to, begging. And all of a sudden, this man in whom the world would see nothing special, Jesus saw him, stepped into his life, touched his eyes. And the man would have died blind if Jesus had not stopped and touched his eyes. And so would be the case with every one of us today. If He did not open our eyes, we would die in our sins. And just as it is with each of us, as it was with this man, it is the grace and mercy of God that restores us. And Jesus turns His attention to the man, and as so far as we can tell, He doesn't tell the man that He's about to heal him. He simply puts mud over each eye and tells the man to go to Siloam to wash. So the question always comes up, why did he spit and make mud? I don't know. Mark 7 tells us that he spat and made mud and put it on one guy's ears and then in Mark chapter 8 he did with another blind man, he spit and made mud and put it over his eyes. But let me just propose a couple of things. Why did Jesus spit in the dirt to make mud and put it on his eyes and tell him to go wash one possibility and mainly, maybe, this main purpose. As it is with so many things with Jesus, it was designed to elicit faith to believe. It was a faith test for this man to follow the instructions in the Word of Christ for his healing. Would he obey like Naaman did, to actually go and wash for the cure of his leprosy. The cure was available to him, Jesus said. Or, here's this possibility. When was the last time you had dirt rubbed in your eye? Heavily. It's uncomfortable, even if you're blind, I'm sure, to have that there. And when Jesus comes into a place And He convicts. He disrupts our old life. And He initiates and irritates what we know. And that conviction leads to change. A desire to be washed by the blood of Christ for salvation and cleansing. And ultimately, we don't really know, but we know this, that the man goes and he washes and he sees. By the way... The religious leaders don't like what happened. Surprise, surprise. See, they had a law that they had made up that you couldn't knead on the Sabbath day. Making mud is kneading. That was one of their silly rules. And it's possibly on this day that the reason he made mud and kneaded it and put it on the man's eyes was to make a mockery of their silly rules. That it is better to do good than to not do good. It's better to heal this man on the Sabbath than to not heal this man at all. It's interesting, the pool of Siloam that they went to in John chapter 7 to get the water where they pulled out over the altar at the Feast of the Tabernacles. The pool of Siloam means sent. Watch this. Jesus sends the man to the pool of sent to be healed. Don't miss the uniqueness of these words. He has been sent. He has anointed the man's eyes. He sends the man. The man's been sent. At the word of Christ, he obeys Christ, and healing comes. Christ ultimately is the real Siloam where cleansing and healing comes. And in this miracle, Jesus took all of the initiative he came to the blind man. The blind man did not come to him. And he expected the blind man to respond with faith-filled action. And I thought this week, this man probably could have convinced himself the foolish errand to go to the pool and wash. As he's making his way, feeling around to get to the pool of Siloam, he probably could have thought of a dozen reasons as to why he shouldn't even go. And sometimes in our lives, we convince ourselves that it's not worth it to follow through in what Christ has commanded us to do. And I want to say today, it is. Even if we have to feel our way in the darkness to get to the place where he has told us to go, it is worth it. Because when the man got there, And he found and he listened where the pool of Siloam was. He took water in his hands and he washed his eyes. And when he got the mud away, he opened them up. And a man born blind sees water, sees people, sees aspects of the temple, and where in his whole life he used to feel his way in and around the temple, he now walks back probably by memory from what he used to feel. And he goes back. And the powerful aspect of his transformation perplexes everybody. And this is the power of life transformation and personal testimony. So, John 8, John 9, 8 says. He gets back and everybody that kind of used to be around him are like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You look familiar. And they start having a conversation about what they are witnessing. And they talk to one another. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Isn't that the blind guy? Isn't that him? Yeah, that's he. Others said, no, 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 no. no, that just kind of looks like him. And he kept saying, the man said, no, 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 I'm the man. No, it's me. I used to be blind, but now I see. This is what happens when Christ transforms a life. There are questions. There's a bit of confusion. There's discussion. And he becomes the talk of the town. And something like this cannot be kept quiet as it is a testimony of of the greatness and the goodness of God. And those who knew the man were puzzled. And they are confused. And they are trying to explain. To come to grips. With the absolute unexplainable. let you think about that for a moment. He was born with eyes that did not work. His eyes Work. He has been touched. He has been transformed. So they ask him, okay, if it's you, how did this happen? Who did this? Who did this work? Because obviously you can't do this work. How were your eyes opened? And he said, the man named Jesus, I want you to not miss this. The man called Jesus made mud Listen to these words. And anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. He gave the credit where it needed to be, Jesus. And we should note that he does not call Jesus Lord yet. He will. They're going to meet again after he's kicked out of the temple. But he knows Jesus touched him, and he knows Jesus healed him. John writes in 9.6 that Jesus anointed, notice the language, he anointed the man, not with oil, he anointed the man's eyes with mud. The man comes back, and he connects it. Jesus anointed my eyes with mud. Let me tell you something about the holiness of Christ. Anything He touches, He can anoint. And when He anoints it, it brings healing. It brings power. It brings purpose. And when Jesus does so, believers have healing. And sometimes this healing comes through a number of different ways. Sometimes it comes through the love of a friend just sitting down with us and Walking with us. And a healing comes. Sometimes it comes through a spoken word of truth. And our eyes are open. We see the change that needs to be made. Sometimes, as shocking as it sounds, anointing and awakening comes through sickness and suffering. And a healing comes out of that. Sometimes the pain in life leads to a great healing. And as of now, Jesus has only opened that man's physical eyes, but next week we will behold Jesus opening the man's spiritual eyes. And all of this that we have seen today was to lead to this moment that Christ would get the great glory But I love what he does. He doesn't call a big crowd over and says, Hey guys, watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to spit. I'm going to make some mud. I'm going to put it on the man. He's going to go away and watch. And I want you to watch this really cool thing that I'm about to do. He just does it in private. And yet the transformation becomes public. Because when a life is changed by the touch and power of Jesus, it is amazing. I want to close with this. And I want to just show something here about the power of Christ. I've got a couple of things here that I want to lift up here that I want you to see. So I've got two boxes here. One, One box representing our life, all of our limitations, the things that we say we can't do, the things we can't get over, we have worries in our life that just dominate our lives, and we feel stuck and we try to get these in and we try to we try to do this and we try to give them to god and 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 it just doesn't seem to work and so we re- remain seeing that there's just limitations in our life, our worries remain we're stuck, and so sometimes we we give our worries and we put them over here, and we put them in God with God, and then, you know, they just seem to be too big, and we take them back and we put them back in our own life. And our problem is, is that we think the limitations are just there, they're never going to go away, our worries are always going to be there, and we're just stuck. And our problem is this: our God is too small, and what needs to happen? Is this. We need to see that our limitations and our worries in those places that we are stuck, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they, one, three persons, one God, are big enough to handle whatever comes in our lives. There are no limitations. With him. He is almighty. He is powerful. Give our lives to him and to know this. Some things may remain in our lives, but he came and to put his presence, his, his spirit in us. Jars of clay to show this miraculous power is his. And so sometimes we're struck down but not destroyed. We're perplexed. And yet He always is ultimately the answer. Put our lives, go to the pool of Siloam and watch. Take your worries, take your limitations, take the places that you feel stuck, take them to the Father, take them to the Son, and take them to the Spirit. Let's pray.